Please turn with me in Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. His name, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, have six children. Emily, who is 22, going to be married next month. Caleb is uh, 18, a freshman in college. Will, 17, a senior in high school. And then they adopted three little Chinese girls. Johanna, eight years old, Stevie Joy, six, and Maria Sue, five. Stephen Curtis Chapman is recognized as one of the great musicians, songwriters, and singers of our day. May 21st, just a little over three months ago. It was a typical day at the Chapman home, a lot of activity. Stephen Curtis Chapman was on the front porch talking on his uh, cell phone because the house was so loud with all the children and music and everything going on. And Will, the 17-year-old, was coming back for, from school where he had uh, trying out for a, a part in the play. And the three little girls were in the backyard playing on the playground Specifically, the monkey bars. And a little Maria Sue, the youngest five years old, couldn't get up as high as her two sisters. And they were trying to lift her up, but she just couldn't quite get there. And then they say, wait, here comes Will. And Will was driving home, coming in the driveway, and always a cautious driver, but every teenage driver is a little more cautious when you see Dad on the front porch. And as he went around the house to where the garage is in the back, Johanna and Stevie Joy said, Maria Sue, Will's coming. Go get him to lift you up on the parallel bars or on the monkey bars. And uh, Maria Sue thought that was a great idea. And as she was running to the corner of the house where Will would soon be emerging in his car, and Will never saw her. And he hit her and ran over. The screams that were let out by the children, by Will, by the dad coming out, taking his little girl in his arms, all bloody, trying to perform CPR, calling 911. The paramedics get there and they... uh, they, they scoop her up and do everything they can there on the site. They take her to the hospital, and as Stephen Curtis Chapman is driving out, he remembers the person who would be hurting the most, his son, Will. And Will started to run. He started to run uh, just through the property. And his older brother, Caleb, chased after him and tackled him, just held on to him. Maria Sue was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital. Two weeks ago, 
The whole family was on the Larry King show. The parents and the three older of the siblings talking about this tragedy in their life. And I was so taken by their their honesty, their authenticity, just how genuine it is, how much they hurt, the counseling they're receiving, but their trust they have in God. They said that a new definition was emblazoned on their minds and on their hearts. Faith is trusting God when you don't have all the answers. Faith is trusting God when you don't have all the answers. The title of my message this morning is, Why Does God Afflict Us? Why do these things happen to us? We can't understand them. We weep. We plead. We pray for healing, deliverance. But sometimes there's that that fist that shakes in the very face of God. Why, God? Why? Our passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Now, Jeff preached on this several months ago, and um, do you all remember what he said? I didn't think so. (laughs) You know, you can only remember about five sermons that you ever, ever heard. That's pretty discouraging to those of us who preach. But the truth of the matter is, the way that we are to grow as sheep is that week-in, week-out feeding that we get from our shepherd. And that's how we grow in Christ, week-in, week-out. Some messages will be meat and potatoes. Some will be uh, a lot of uh, um, broccoli. And, uh, but we get a good diet, uh, especially at Orangewood. And for that, I'm very thankful. I know you are too. This is the passage about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul wrestled with having a thorn in the flesh. Let's address it. Verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now let's pause right there. Paul's saying, I've got this thorn in the flesh. It's like a messenger of Satan. It torments me. It's not just a little thing, but it just torments me. It just absolutely drives me crazy. It is all-consuming. His thorn in the flesh is all-consuming. That's how bothered he is by it. We're not sure what it is. The scripture is careful. God doesn't want us to know specifically, or he would have said it. Because thorns come in many different uh, uh, sizes and categories. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical affliction. Again, we don't know, but I'm even speculating that it might have been an eye problem. He says at the end of some of his epistles, 
He says, see with what large letters I write so that you'll know that it is my signature. It's me who's writing, who generally writes with large letters. Generally somebody that has an eye problem, a sight problem. Again, we don't know it. Remember when Paul was converted in Acts 9, the road to Damascus, he was, he was blinded for days. And afterwards, uh, when God healed him, uh, Paul said something like scales fell off my eyes. Think of scales. Of course, we, we don't have those kind of scales, but we got bathroom scales. But think of the old-fashioned scales. And if something like scales were on your eyes for days, and maybe God healed him completely, maybe God left him with a little, a little pinch where he's going to have this affliction. Again, we don't know, but we know it's all consuming to him. What does he do about it? Verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, we can't slide over this too fast. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might be delivered, that he might be healed. Now, when it says that Paul prayed three times, This wasn't just uh, like you and I might pray at the dinner table or in the morning or maybe a a quiet time. We did it three times. No, Paul would would fast and pray and and maybe sackcloth and ashes and and lay prostrate outside. Uh, He would do this probably for days on three different occasions. He labored before the Lord. Now let's remember who this is. This is the apostle Paul and he's got a problem. And he's praying that Jesus would heal him. Now, that seems like such a reasonable request. Jesus healed so many people. He healed people he didn't even know. Why wouldn't he heal Paul? Paul, uh, the missionary. Paul, the preacher. Paul, the evangelist. Paul, the church planter. I would imagine that Paul's heart was was as pure as it could be. Saying, Lord, I've been able to do some things for you, but how much more I could do, God, if you just heal me of this? Just heal me of this, Lord, and I can start more churches. I could go on more missionary journeys. What does God say? Verse 9. And God has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Isn't that fabulous? My grace is sufficient for you, God says. Paul, what I'm calling you to do, what I'm calling you to be, my grace is sufficient. You don't need to have all these other plans. My plan for you, Paul, I'm going to give you the grace. Because power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Because you're weak, then you can be strong. Paul, because of that affliction, because of that thorn in the flesh, that messenger of Satan, because you're being tormented, you're weak. You're so totally dependent on me. And now, Paul, you can be strong. Oh, not as the world counts strong. Oh, no, not as the world counts strong. But in your weakness is my strength. My power is made perfect in weakness. So what does he do? Verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. 
for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't it interesting that in the previous verse 9, he says, I will boast about my weaknesses. Then verse 10, he says, I am well content with weaknesses, my affliction, with distresses, with persecutions, with insults. I found a measure of contentment. May 11th, three and a half months ago, I had to be rushed to the hospital. I had a fever and septicemia and it developed real fast into pneumonia. And I spent 35 days from Mother's Day to Father's Day in the hospital. And I got very sick. Very sick. I started to hallucinate dreams that I just couldn't shake. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see my way clear. I didn't know where I was. Dreams that I still think about. I don't have them recurring, but unfortunately I, I can't forget them. One of which I dreamt that I broke into a pawn shop in Miami. (laughs) I don't know why, maybe I was going to steal a fake Rolex. (laughs) But there were others that were just awful, just awful. And I got to a place where I thought I was going to die. I got to a place where I heard them whispering outside my hospital room. I knew what they were whispering about, even in my, even my stage. I, as a pastor, had been a part of some of those whispering groups outside of somebody's hospital room. I remember asking Linda, am I going to die? She put her head as close to me as she could. And she said, no, not from this. The next night was even worse. I said, Linda, I got to ask you another question. Would you ever lie to me? (laughs) As I laid there, Realizing that the medicine wasn't working. Nothing they were doing would seem to be working. That this was it. There was only one question that came into my mind. Am I really saved? Can you believe that? Been a Christian almost 40 years. A pastor for 30 years. A man who has assured others of their salvation. A man who had the assurance of my salvation. I had the right answer. But somehow or other, that was the question I had. 
I thought about the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Paul says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly, after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Oh, if Paul was thinking that way, I needed to think that way. I needed to make, make double sure, triple sure. How sure can you make it? But the scripture is good. The scripture does confirm to us that once we've committed our life to Christ, we can have that assurance. I thought of those words of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and Matthew 7, verse 20 to 23, the end of this glorious sermon, Jesus says, so then you will know them by their fruits. For not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. But many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And I will say to you, depart from me, for I never knew you. My friends, those are, those are strong words. Strong words from a strong Savior. This is serious business, isn't it? This is serious business, and somehow or other, when we have a, an affliction, when we have a thorn in the flesh, when we have difficulties, when we have distresses, somehow or other, it gets serious real fast. I remember thinking for years what I'd like to have on my tombstone someday, just hypothetically, some phrase, something. I thought for the longest time I wanted, he sought to be faithful. I couldn't say I was faithful, but he sought to be faithful with no more, no more. Now I only want one word, forgiven, forgiven. When Tony Dungy's son committed suicide a couple of years ago, in the midst of Tony Dan Dungy's Indianapolis Colts, uh, going for their uh, Super Bowl season, during the midst of that season, toward the end of it, his son Jamie committed suicide. I think of how difficult uh, young Will Chapman has it and will have it for a long, long time, probably forever. But it was such an accident. But parents who have a, a, a teenage son commit suicide, oh, the thoughts and the sleepless nights that they must wrestle with. And four days after his son did it, Tony Dungy stood at a memorial service just packed with people. 
Tony Janji talked about 2 Corinthians verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Talked about Isaiah. Isaiah saying, God saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher. That's where the trust comes in. That's where the faith comes in. When you don't have all the answers. I love that verse, Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not become tired. They shall walk, not become weary. It's a great verse, isn't it? It's a great hope that we have. I don't know about the early part of it. Mine up wings like eagles. I have a fear of heights. So I trust that God will heal me of that. But I love the part. You shall run, not become tired. I look forward to running again. I was 16 when I ran the last time. And even before running, to go in and buy a pair of sneakers. That's a fun experience, isn't it? Get them, you get them out of that box and you put them on, lace them up with new laces. It feels so good and tight. Then you kind of walk around the store a little bit. And then you do what you hope nobody sees you do. You You jump. Jump a couple times. Not as high as you'd like to jump, but enough. There's a great hope that awaits us. Great hope that awaits us. But until then, those of us who struggle, whether it's an acute uh, affliction, whether it's a chronic affliction, we have that hope. We have that hope that he says, come to me. Take refuge in me. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you. Surely I will raise you up with my righteous right hand. Through the tears, he's there and he lifts us up. And we're ours is to trust him. When we don't have all the answers... To know that he is a good God, a sovereign God. Why does God afflict us? Why do bad things happen? My friends, we're not sure. We can say for his own glory, oh yes, and that is the right answer. That's our goal, isn't it? To glorify God. Enjoy him forever. But there are times that you just don't feel like glorifying him. There are times when you're really wrestling with enjoying him. There are times when your tear-soaked pillow won't allow you to escape there. Oh, my friends, we're not sure. But that's where the faith comes in. That's where the faith comes in. I'll never forget 
June 13, 1976, our first service at Orangewood. We were a little storefront down on Colonial Drive, and I was being ordained. We only had a very few people, very few people, but it was a big day in my life. And the minister who was preaching the ordination sermon, a friend of mine, he preached, and the title of his sermon was, How to Please God. It's one of my top five. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the way we please God is by living by faith when we don't have all the answers. I have two points of application. First, are you really saved? Do you know this morning that you're there? You're there. And yet, my friends, let's let's go a little deeper. Jesus says, so you'll know them by their fruit. For not ever I knew says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you pursue the things of God? Oh, sure, you've prayed a prayer, but is your life any different than before when you hadn't prayed that prayer? Is your life any different than your neighbors, than your friends, the people you work with, the people you go to school with? Is it any different? Or are you just playing games? Do you ever make a sacrifice for God? You know, the Apostle Paul said his goal Philippians 3.10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, I can identify with Paul, can't you? At least with the first two. I want to know him, don't you? I want to know him deeply. I want to know him intimately. And the power of his resurrection, yes, I want that power. I want to live my life. The power of the resurrection In my weakness, his power shall be manifest. But the fellowship of his sufferings, oh, Paul, oh, Paul, if I'm honest, I can't say that I look forward to that. To share in the sufferings of what Jesus went through. Oh, my friends, we think of how he was rejected by men, his own family. The injustice. Is there anything that we hate more than injustice? The rejection, family and friends, the persecution, and ultimately the sacrifice, dragging that cross after he had been scourged, dragging his own cross, being nailed on it. That's sharing in the sufferings. Oh, Lord, please, please, may I not have to share in those sufferings. But what sacrifices do you make? I'll tell you, we, we don't make many sacrifices in this country at this day and time. We just heard about 
these um, uh, classes starting next week during the Sunday school hour. And yet, some of us won't be here. It's, it's just a little too early. It's just a little bit more of a sacrifice. After all, I come to church for an hour a week. If that's your sacrifice, it ain't much. It's good. It's a great start. But are we willing to sacrifice? What about financially? We have this gorgeous building that we need to pay for. And many of you, many of you, I'm sure, are sacrificing financially. Many of you are tithing, and yet my guess is many of you are not. There are probably some here who, when the plate is passed, the truth be known and is to Jesus. What's the least amount I can put in and get away with? What sacrifices do we make? What sacrifices do we make by opening our mouth and telling somebody else about Jesus? Or are we embarrassed? Are we glad he wasn't embarrassed for us? Are you saved, my friends? This is the time to nail that stake into the ground. August 31st, 2008. You solidified it. I'm not saying you weren't saved before. But there's a place, my friends. There's a place where you have to say, it's time for me to get serious about following Jesus. It's not just my Savior, but he is my Lord. Am I going to follow him? Am I just going to come to church on Sunday? Sometimes begrudgedly. Secondly, what is your affliction? What is your affliction? Is it physical? Probably not as visible as mine, or at least one of mine are. But maybe it is physical. Maybe it's headaches, backache, something internal. Something that just is all-consuming. It just almost torments you. Is it relational? Do you feel trapped in a marriage? You just can't seem to get out of. Do you have a rebellious child? Is it financial? You're in over your head. You're upside down. You're having problems vocationally. Oh, my friends, whatever is your affliction this morning or afflictions, oh, pray that God would heal you. Pray that God would deliver you. Pray that God might be gracious to heal you and deliver you. But also pray, God, if you're not, Give me a measure of contentment, as you did Paul. Give me a measure of peace that in my weakness will be your strength. God says to be a doer of his word, not just a hearer of it, deceiving our own selves. My friends, has God spoken to you this morning from his word? As you hear it, what will you do about it? 
Let's pray together. Has God spoken to you? What is what has he pricked your heart, your conscience, your mind about this morning? It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're hearing this message. But God wants us all to hear his word and to do something about it. So the first question, are you saved? Are you confident? Do you know for sure that Jesus died for your sins? And not only have you accepted him, but you're following him. And he's your Lord. If you're not sure, my friends, then during these few moments, you talk to him about that silently. And secondly, what is your affliction? As you think about something that's really, really bugging you, really bothering you, really all-consuming, oh, my friends, plead with the Lord to forgive you and deliver you, but also ask him to give you contentment in where you are. Let's just take about 60 seconds of silent prayer for each one of us talks to him about what we've heard this morning. Jesus you have heard the prayers of your people here this morning they've personalized your word with where you've got them each one in your sovereign plan for each of our lives oh father I pray that as we leave here this morning even amidst a a tear in an eye You'll give us that hope, that strength that comes from our weakness, that power, that resurrection power to live through whatever might be bugging us right now. Deliver those, heal those, God, but also give us contentment wherein you've called us. We will give you praise from this day forward into eternity itself. We pray in your matchless name. Amen.